0: sky watchers thanks for listening to the royal Observatory's Look lookup podcast i'm jess and i'm Ophelia,
1: and we're going to highlight what to look for in the sky in may in this cosmic diary but before we go on we just want to say that we are recording this online uh we're in two separate places so if there are any sound issues sorry about that um but hopefully you can hear us well enough with that said When looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way and other galaxies, it's important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so that you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device while stargazing. If you're using a star app on your phone, then switch on the red night vision mode.
0: May is the ideal time to look for Coma Berenices. This constellation will be up throughout the night. So it's made up of three not so bright stars just east of Leo the Lion. The constellation was well known during the ancient Greek period but it was then later kind of forgotten about as many astronomers who made maps of the night sky considered these stars to be just part of Leo's the Lion's tail. Coma Berenices only became popular much later during the 16th century. At this point western astronomers started introducing it as an official constellation it's meant to represent a lock of hair from Berenice II of Egypt, who was the wife of Ptolemy III. So as such, Coma Berenices is the really the only constellation named after a real historical figure.
1: And next door to Coma Berenices is Leo. Uh, we spoke about Leo last month. It's one of the most recognizable constellations in the night sky. And throughout May, dwarf planet Ceres will actually appear to pass by the nebula, which is the uh, second brightest star in Leo. You will need a telescope to see Ceres as its magnitude will vary from about 7.7 to 8.3 or so during the whole month.
0: Mm, That's really cool. Okay, springtime in the Northern Hemisphere marks galaxy season. This is the best part of the year where the location of the Earth in its orbit gives us the best view of some of the most stunning galaxies that we can see. So for all these galaxies, you will need a a telescope or a pair of binoculars. But one popular target for astrophotographers is the Sombrero galaxy, a galaxy that seems to be a cross between a spiral and an elliptical galaxy. So two different types or structures. It was likely originally a large elliptical galaxy that hoovered up lots of dust clouds, which eventually flattened out to form a sort of disc spiral shape. But from our perspective, we only see the edge of this galaxy with a magnitude of eight The Sombrero galaxy is visible with binoculars, but a telescope will reveal the distinctive Sombrero hat shape that it's named after. You can find this galaxy in Virgo.
1: In May, we have yet another meteor shower, this time the Eta Aquarids. Meteor showers occur when the Earth passes through a trail of debris whilst on its journey around the Sun. This particular shower is associated with debris from the famous comet Halley, who is the uh, second astronomer royal to work here at the Royal Observatory, Greenwich. If you want to see the comet itself, it next returns to the Earth in 2061. Uh, So maybe trying to spot one of these meteors is a a better idea. Um, This shower runs from the 15th of April until the 27th of May, peaking around the 6th of May. And sadly, this is right after the full moon, which is uh, on the 5th of May. And so the bright light of the moon is going to make it difficult to admire this meteor shower in its full glory. It's still worth a go uh, if you're feeling keen. The radiant of this shower is in the constellation of Aquarius, which means that if you trace the path of a meteor back, it will appear to originate in this part of the sky. You can still see shooting stars in any part of the sky, so ideally you want to find a safe, very dark location with an unobstructed view of as much of the sky as possible. For this shower, the best time will be uh, just before dawn, so wrap up warm and stay up late. This shower is also particularly good for southern hemisphere viewers, as you don't have to stay up as late for the radiant of the shower to be visible. But I'm afraid the light of the moon will be just as much of a distraction for you, though. And if you want to find out more info about the Eta
0: Aquarius meter shower, then you can go to our website. There are, of course, planets visible in the sky this month. Venus continues to shine brightly in the west. It's visible in the early evening all month long, not setting until after 11pm each night. Towards the end of the month, on the western horizon, Venus and Mars will be approaching each other. Well, they'll they'll look like they're approaching each other. As we head towards summer, the days are getting longer and longer, which means you'll have to wait later and later each night for the sun to set and for these planets to become visible. However, they're still not out too late and they're worth a glimpse if you can see them through the spring showers. On the 23rd of May at 10pm, for example, you'll see a lovely collection of objects in the west. So after the sun sets, you'll see Venus as a bright star-like object, about 20 degrees above the horizon. And then just to the left of that, you'll see a stunning crescent moon, and then the bright stars of Castor and Pollux just above, with Mars up there as well. So a big whole collection of objects you can see. On the 29th of May, Mercury reaches its greatest elongation west. This means it's at its furthest separation from the sun. So as the closest planet to the Sun, it's never too far away from our central star but at the greatest elongation it can be slightly easier to spot. Sadly this time around for London it isn't too easy to see. Your best bet is to wait until June when it's at a slightly higher altitude above the horizon and with a slightly higher magnitude as well. Those
1: in the Northern Hemisphere recently bid farewell to Jupiter from their evening skies but the planet is gradually appearing at around dawn for those in the southern hemisphere. Look towards the east, where it will just about peak out above the horizon at the start of the month, but will rise higher in the sky of each morning. Mercury will join Jupiter during the second half of May, and both are naked-eye planets and will appear as steady star-like objects. For this month, we want to try something different on our Twitter. So instead of putting up a poll we want to ask you a question. And this month's question is, have you ever seen a shooting star? So go to our Twitter account, which is at ROG Astronomers, and you can uh, reply to that question. If you've also got any photos of the night sky and you want to share them with us, then please do. You can, again, uh, tweet
0: them to us at ROG Astronomers. That will be at the, the start of May. we put up that question but come and talk to us anytime and remember we also have our night sky highlights blog published each month which you might want to have a read of but it's now time for our cosmic news isn't it ophelia yeah so in this part of the podcast we bring two news stories to the table two astronomical news stories something about space or astronomy that's happened recently and last month we had two news stories for you they were the aurora sightings we had here in the uk and particularly bright aurora were seen by by a lot of people which was very exciting and i also brought to the table some news about a particularly large exoplanet orbiting a particularly tiny star and uh, we asked you all to vote on which news story was your favorite and i can reveal Would you like to know, Ophelia? Go on. Go on. All right, I will. I can reveal that I won the poll this month. Well done. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) I never win the poll. So we have two new news stories for you this month. We aren't going to ask you to vote on them this month, which means I'll stay the victor for at least four weeks. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm claiming anyway. But yes, we do have two stories for you. And would you like to go first, Ophelia? Yeah,
1: sure. Um, So you might have heard on the news that uh, astronomers detected radio signals um, from maybe a planet um, not too far away. And because these signals were repeating and regular, some people thought maybe they're aliens. It's not aliens. (laughs) Unfortunately, (laughs) it is not aliens. Um, so what they actually found was um, a radio signal coming from a star called YZ Cittai, uh which is about 12 light years away from the Earth. It's actually relatively close to us. And they used uh, the Carl Jansky Very Large Array Radio Telescope, which is uh, operated by, by the US. And what they found was that these radio signals um, are produced by interactions between that star itself and one of one of the planets that's going around this star, so an, an exoplanet. And for this interaction to happen, the exoplanet needs to have a magnetic field um, around it. Um, and this is really exciting because while well, magnetic fields are invisible, uh, we can't see them, and these exoplanets are you know far away. So it's hard to, like, see their auroras, for example. So here in the solar system, we can see auroras on Jupiter, Saturn, and we know that they've got a magnetic field. We can't do that to these exoplanets. Um, And this could be, if it's correct, this could be the first rocky exoplanet um, discovered to have a magnetic field around it, and that's really exciting.
0: That's amazing. So... You specified rocky there. Have we found magnetic fields going around other things?
1: Yeah, so we found brown dwarfs, which are, some people call them failed stars. Um, They're kind of like that link between a planet and a star. They're not quite massive enough for nuclear fusion to to start and for the, or the star to start shining. And we've detected radio waves coming from those brown dwarfs. Um, So usually... Radio waves in space or, you know, a planet or a brown dwarf or whatever, they're produced when electrons travel um, along the magnetic field lines. And then they they also spiral along the field lines. And when they spiral, they give off radio waves. Um, so we know brown dwarfs have magnetic fields because uh, of these radio emissions. And the fact that we can detect these radio emissions um, tells us that the magnetic field must be very strong because they've traveled... You know, fast distances to to reach us
0: mm-hmm. ok. so we found them around brand dwarfs. We've now potentially found via radio waves a magnetic field around an exoplanet. And this, like you said, this doesn't mean there's there's aliens with with radio channels with with TV stations using radio signals in that way. But it is a sign that something is is habitable, isn't it, or could be habitable?
1: A magnetic field is important for. A planet to be habitable because um the magnetic field protects that planet from the stars charged particles so we're always bombarded by by the sun's charged particles and what's called the solar wind and if we didn't have a magnetic field the solar wind will literally strip away our atmosphere um, and that's what happened to mars billions of years ago and um, and so if a planet has a magnetic field their atmosphere is protected and an atmosphere we think is important for life because it helps them mm. to breathe at least it is for here on the earth not sure that this exoplanet is habitable so the Aww. exoplanet itself is called yzc type b but it's very very close to its star uh so close in fact that it takes just two days to orbit the star
0: okay that is a very short orbit isn't it compared to 365 and a quarter for the earth
1: yeah yeah mm. and even and even mercury closest planet to our sun takes 88 earth days so yeah okay physics so, is.
0: <laughs> yeah short <laughs> orbit indicating it's very close indicating it's very very hot so this one potentially doesn't have an atmosphere you can have a magnetic field without an atmosphere so it's they're not very correlated yeah okay yeah that's true but still very exciting uh, if there is an atmosphere and there is a magnetic field, we're going to have northern and southern lights, aren't we, or we could do? Yeah, potentially.
1: Yeah, potentially you can. And actually, these astronomers think that these radio emissions from the star is a signal that the star itself has northern and southern lights. So we're seeing the aurora from the star rather than the exoplanet in this case.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what part of the spectrum these these lights would be in? because here on the Earth we we see them in visible light, but I know on other planets they're not necessarily invisible light. What colour would a star's northern lights glow in?
1: I would say, this is a complete, like, this is an educated guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So the star would have a lot of hydrogen, and we know the giant planets have a lot of hydrogen in their atmosphere, and their aurora are bright in ultraviolet. So I'm guessing the aurora
0: will be bright in ultraviolet as well. Okay. Awesome. I appreciate your educated guests. Thank you. <laughs> so this was the the first time we found, maybe found a magnetic field around an exo, a rocky exoplanet. What's of qualifiers yeah. there? Do you think we might find more in the future? I hope so. I think they're really interesting.
1: I study magnetic fields around uh, planets in our solar system. And it's really exciting that the same idea um, is being used to to study planets outside of our solar system as well
0: that that is pretty cool so maybe you can do a second phd in in exoplanet auroras no thank you <laughs> <laughs> one's enough <laughs> <laughs> now the the exoplanet that you mentioned here it didn't have a name did it it's named after the star and then the letter b yes yeah, so that's the, how exoplanet.
1: most exoplanets are named so
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, there are some some procedures where they're starting to name the most interesting ones right the most famous ones are getting catchier names as opposed to to designations, mm-hmm. uh, but the the brown dwarfs, what are they named? The ones that also had magnetic fields are they named in the same way that exoplanets are named?
1: Um, not quite. So they're they're also given sort of catalog names rather than proper names. Two examples that have these radio emissions. Uh, first one, LSRJ one eight three five plus three two five nine. Not to be mistaken, (laughs) uh, with the second, uh, J1750 plus 3809.
0: Wow, brilliant. I'm not going to remember either of those. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll we'll work on continuing to detect radio waves from exoplanet stellar systems and in-kind detect magnetic fields. And we'll also work on naming things properly. Yeah yeah that's my plan for us as a as a sector (laughs) what story do
1: you have for us this
0: month Uh, my news story is also from outside of the solar system so we've both gone rogue we've gone beyond beyond the sun and the planets and the moons
1: in case you don't know yet jess and i are planetary scientists so we spend most of our time thinking about the planets in our solar system
0: i'm not sure i can call myself a planetary scientist but... <laughs> <laughs> but we do both like talking about planets uh so my story is about something called the boat the boat uh, the boat the b-o-a-t so you might have heard of the the goats the greatest of all time mm-hmm. various various people you can designate as the greatest of all time depending on you know what we're talking about uh, but i'm talking about the boat which is the brightest of all time Ooh. yeah So this is a news story about the brightest gamma-ray burst ever recorded. So before we get into this particular gamma-ray burst, I feel like I have to quickly describe what a gamma-ray burst is. Yes, please. Uh, If that's all right with you. Yeah. Uh, So a gamma-ray burst is, as it it is in the name, like most things in astronomy, a burst of gamma rays. It's described in the title. (laughs) Uh, We first discovered these in the 1960s. So it wasn't until we had space-based detectors that were able to detect them, that we found them. Um, but since the 1960s, we have recorded thousands of gamma-ray bursts coming from all areas of the sky and coming from great distances. So these aren't originating in the solar system or even in the Milky Way. They're coming from, from far away. And they're bursts of gamma rays. Uh, some of them are, are very, very short, less than a couple of seconds. Some of them are long, seconds or even minutes long. And for a long time, we didn't know why this happened. Couldn't work out where they were coming from or, or what was what was causing them. Uh, it's been sort of there's been theories floating around, and it's now pretty much accepted that some of these gamma ray bursts, they come from the uh, the supernova event at the end of a star's life where a black hole is created. So when a star much more massive than our own sun, 20, 30 times more massive, runs out of fuel and collapses inwards, you get a black hole forming, a stellar mass black hole. And we think that these supernova explosions generate this burst of gamma rays. So that's, that's a rough description of, of gamma ray bursts. There are other types of gamma ray bursts, which some scientists think come from neutron stars colliding, so from a different type of event, but still incredibly energetic, violent events in the, in the universe is where they come from. And this isn't the first one we found, but it is the brightest one ever found. So gamma ray bursts are the most luminous, most bright, most energetic events that we record. Since since the Big Bang, they'll be the most energetic things that are happening. Uh, but this is the brightest one we have found. It is about 70 times brighter than any other one ever recorded. Wow. So like, like a magnitude brighter than than anything else that detectors have recorded. It was so bright, it effectively blinded a lot of the detectors. So there's, there's old telescopes whose... Aim whose objective is to look for these gamma ray bursts. Uh, But this was so bright that most of them sort of couldn't record it properly or couldn't get details out of it. Mm. Uh, It was probably the brightest seen in about 10,000 years. So we don't know that, of course, because we've not been looking for 10,000 years. But statistically, scientists are saying that it will be the brightest that we would have recorded in the last 10,000 years. This is a really big event. Wow. Some people might have heard of it because it was actually first detected back in October of last year. So we detected it on the 9th of October 2022. But some research papers have been coming out recently around it. So it's becoming a, it's come back up in the news. And I think it's worth talking about. Hmm. Did
1: these telescopes get permanently damaged?
0: Not that I've read. I don't think so. Okay. Um, we just had their sort of, they had to sort of go back through the data and rebuild what they thought they observed. Uh, The the Gamma Ray Burst has a name. It's not just brightest of all time. You want to hear its name? Yeah, go for it. It's named GRB, which stands for Gamma Ray Burst, 221009A. Again, with all the numbers. Yeah, so just boat, I think is better. It's the boat. (laughs) Uh, This happened about 1.9, roughly. I've seen a couple of different numbers, but around 1.92 billion light years away from the Earth. So these, this event happened, some kind of star went supernova, the gamma ray burst was ejected, you have these these jets coming out from the poles, so you've got gamma ray bursts coming from the, the two poles of the collapsing star black hole thing, and then it came through space, through this great distance, and actually the first spacecraft to detect it was Voyager. Because Voyager was left the Earth in the 70s. It's about 20 billion miles away from the Earth now. So it's effectively not much closer, but it's closer to this this source of gamma rays than we are. So it was first detected by Voyager, and then it came and it was detected by uh, a couple of space based telescopes that aim to detect these, the Swift and Fermi gamma ray detectors. Um, Hubble and JWST also detected and have been sort of doing follow-up observations.
1: Ooh, that's interesting. So we've got um, detections not just in 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 gamma rays, but in in infrared and ultraviolet,
0: yes. Yeah, so the the original burst is in gamma rays, but then there's something they describe as an an afterglow, um which right, goes yeah. into sort of l- lower energy parts of the spectrum, and you can see it sometimes hmm. through different telescopes. Hmm. So this one isn't necessarily the most energetic explosion that's happened in the past, however many thousands of years. It's just the most energetic we would have recorded in the past, however many thousands of years. Uh, so this jet of radiation comes out from the poles. And the closer to sort of directly looking at us, the pole is, the brighter we'll see the radiation.
1: Right, yeah. Do you know, do
0: you know what I mean? I don't know how to describe that more more sensibly.
1: So, um, so I guess if you were sh- shining a torch, it will look brighter if the torch is shining directly at you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good good analogy. <laughs> so you have this this beam of radiation effectively, so it's not coming out of the entire star, mm-hmm. um, or the entire black hole rather, but just out of the poles. And if that beam is pointed directly at the Earth, we'll record a very, very bright gamma ray burst. And if it's pointed not quite at the Earth, so if we're not directly in that, in that line of sight, we'll record a fainter gamma ray burst. And if it's not pointed at us at all, we aren't going to record anything. Mm, like a lighthouse. Like a lighthouse, yeah. I did. So there's, as I said, there's a few papers that have been published. Um, I got a lot of my information from uh, something from Eric Burns, who is from Louisiana State University. But there's a whole whole collection of observations or follow-up observations that are being done, have been done over the last few months, and it's just really fascinating because it is so incredibly energetic, and because they're still so mysterious as events, we still don't Mm -hmm. know that much about them. Do you know how often we see these gamma ray bursts? Mm, I haven't got a specific number, but if we first found them in the 60s, and we found maybe 10,000 or so since the 60s, so fairly, fairly often. Lots of stars are dying, and we're seeing it happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Neutron stars colliding as well.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, they're definitely not completely solved as events there's still there's still lots of unanswered questions about about why they happen and how they happen Mm. and maybe some of the research that comes out of this particularly energetic observation will help yeah so hopefully more research will come out more information will come out about this particular gamma ray burst or about gamma ray bursts in general and i'm sure in the future we'll have more stories about radio signals from from exoplanets indicating magnetic fields, maybe even radio signals from exoplanets that are rocky and a habitable distance from their star, which would be cool because that could be a sign of a habitable planet. Uh, so lots of lots of potential in our news stories, I think I can say. So we have branched out from the solar system. We've gone beyond the solar system, but we will probably return to it at some point. And remember you can come and talk to us on our Twitter account, which is at ROG Astronomers. We want to know this month um, if you have ever seen a shooting star. So when you're stargazing or just happening to look up at the right time and right place, have you ever seen yourself a little bit of a meteor? Have you seen a meteor? I have, yeah. Uh, most recently, when I was trying to look for the Northern Lights in Iceland, I instead saw a couple of shooting stars. Oh nice. um, I did later see the northern lights, but while we were waiting, I saw a couple. Just oh, happened to cool. come across. Yeah. Ooh, Have you yeah. seen any recently? Um, not recently, I don't think. <laughs> to be honest, I think the last one was uh five, six years ago. <laughs> hmm. You gotta do some more starcasing. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> some of it's luck though, isn't it? even if you go out on the right time on the right night during a meteor shower you aren't always going to see any but you could definitely try yeah yeah all right i think that pretty much brings us to a close for today thank you so much for listening to both of our news stories and to our night sky highlights all that's left to say is keep looking up